Let's praise the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's a holy God. Father, I just welcome you in this place right now, Father, right where we're standing. As we lift up our praises to you, lift up our worship to you, God. And come and bless us with your presence, Father. Bless us with your presence. Fill this room. Press down, shaking together and running over. That you are a holy God. Purify our hearts. Purify our minds. As we worship you in spirit and truth. Stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He And together we see Everyone sees Holy is the Lord 
God Almighty. All the earth is filled with His glory. All hears the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. The earth is filled with His glory. All the earth is filled with His glory. Earth is filled with His glory. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. And holy are you, Lord. And holy are your ways. In reverence we come. In majesty you reign. So in this moment now, as heaven's drawing near, Lord, fill us with your power. Let us see your glory here. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, our God is an all-consuming fire. Oh, our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Worthy are you, Lord, worthy of our praise. We're laying down our lives, we're lifting high your name. So in this moment now, we're all in mercy meet. God, let your fire fall, come consume this offering. Because our God is Lord. Consuming fire, our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Oh, our God is an all-consuming fire. And holy are You, Lord, and holy are Your ways. Reverence we come, in majesty you reign. So in this moment now, heaven's drawing near. Lord, fill us with your power, let us see your glory here. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, our God is an all-consuming fire. Oh, our God is an all-consuming fire. Worthy are you, Lord, worthy of our praise. Laying down our lives. Lifting high your name. So in this moment now, 
where all and mercy meet and let your fire fall consume the suffering our God is an all-consuming fire our God is an all-consuming fire our God is an all-consuming fire oh our God is an all-consuming fire You are holy. You are holy. Yeah. You are holy. Who is like you? There's no one like you. You are holy. Holy, oh, you are holy, holy, yeah. You are holy, and who is like you? There's no one like you. You are worthy. You are worthy, yeah. You are worthy. Who is like you? There's no one like you. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, He is, Lord. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Oh, our God is an all-consuming fire. As you are holy, you are holy. Holy, who is like you? There's no one like you. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Is like you, there's no one like you. Our God is a no consuming fire. God is a no consuming fire. Our God is a no consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. 
Our God, He's an all-consuming fire. Father, we open up our hearts. We open up our hearts, Father, that you can see every crack and every crevice, every corner of our lives. Let your fire, your purifying fire come in. We lay everything at your feet and say, Lord, burn it up. Because what is, what is not pure and what is not holy will be burned up. And Father, all that will be left is what is what you want for our lives. What's pure and holy. We want our lives to reflect you, Father. We want our daily lives to reflect you. Be an example to everyone else of who you are and what you desire. Oh, yeah. Burn up everything, God, that doesn't please you. Everything that doesn't, doesn't exalt you. Everything that displeases you. Everything that grieves you. Burn it up, Father. Purify me, oh Lord. Purify us, oh Lord. Purify us, oh Lord. So all that's left is clean hands and a pure heart that we can offer up to you in worship. Oh. Give us clean heads, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean heads, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees, oh Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things, oh Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands, oh give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another oh, give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another oh God let us be a generation that seeks seeks your face oh God of Jacob oh God let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Oh, we bow our hearts, we bend our knees, oh Spirit, make us humble. We turn our eyes. From evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Oh, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not 
lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, and seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, oh God. Let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob, oh God of Jacob, oh, so give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face. Oh God. Jacob, oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Father, let us lay down our idols, all the things that take up all of our time, Father, we lay them down at your feet as we sang before, and be consumed by the fire of God, the holy fire on the altar. All the things that consume our time that is not of you, the things that we don't want to let go of, that you've asked us to let go of over and over and over and over again, but we just won't let it go. It doesn't mean it's something bad or it's something sinful. It's just something that's taking your time away from him. And he said to give it up for a time and you just can't do it. That's become an idol. It's taking the place on the throne instead of him in your heart. Father, we love you. We want you to be on the throne of our hearts. We want you to be on the throne of our lives, Father. We want you to be the center of everything that we do of everything that we are, everything that we are. God, we want you to be the center of it. If it doesn't please you, then we don't want it. If it doesn't glorify you, then we don't want it. If it's not a part of your plan for us, then we don't want it. Oh, yeah. Because Jesus, we love Oh, how we love you. You are the one I 
the door. We Jesus, we love you. You are the one. Hearts adore. And old things have passed. And your love has stayed the same. And your constant grace. Cornerstone, and things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. You caused your sun to shine on darkest nights. For all that you've done. We will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. Because you are the one our hearts adore. have found their hope the orphans now have a home and all that was lost has found its place in you and you lift our weary it's weaker strong instead you took these rags and made us beautiful. For all that you've done, we will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. And Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one. Tell him you love him tonight. Just tell him you love him. Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love you. More than anything. Oh, I love you. Poured out on the feet 
feet of Jesus are perfect And our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus Our affection and our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus Our affection and our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus we love you oh how we love you you are the one my hearts adore Jesus we love you and oh how we are the one our hearts adore Jesus we love you and oh how we love you and you are the one our hearts adore we lay it all at your feet, Father. I love you more than that. What is that first thing that came to mind? What's the first thing that came to mind? When we start talking about things that are hard to lay down. What's the first thing? Just right now, that first thing, just lay it at his feet. Say, Father, you know what? I love you more. I love you more. I love you more. I love you more than whatever it is, whatever that thing is. I love you more. You can have it all. Oh, you can have it all. You can have it all. It all belongs to you. I love you. Oh, how I love you. You are the one a heart's door. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for this time of worship to settle our minds and remove all the distractions, all the idols, Lord. Father, I pray that as we enter into the lesson tonight, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Father, that you would open blinded eyes, that you would open deaf ears. Father, that you would speak to our hearts in a new and a fresh way, Lord. Father God, as the deliverer of your word tonight, I just pray right now, Father, that you would take over. Lord, I surrender my own thoughts and my own actions and opinions to you. And I ask that you would speak to your house tonight, Lord. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this church. 
We ask your blessing and favor over Pastor Bob and Miss Amanda as they are away. Father, we just ask that you would have your way with the rest of tonight as you have in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everybody. I'm not a stranger, I promise. <laughs> I've been around just long enough for y'all to maybe know my face. <laughs> I, um, For those of you who don't know, my name is Phoebe. Um, I have been a credentialed minister with the Assemblies of God for a little over uh, eight years. Um, and I'm super, super honored and blessed that Pastor Bob would um, give me an opportunity to step into the pulpit and share with you guys um, something that I truly believe is uh, a very, very important lesson, principle, whatever. I don't know what to call it other than um, for me, it being my life's work and call. And that's just, it's about discipleship. Um, and so before I get too far, um, I want to first share the, the uh, main scripture for tonight, um, which most of you will probably be familiar with. Um, and then I just want to share a little bit of my background, a tiny bit, I promise, and just kind of bring that to where I feel like the Lord wants us to, to really dig in. And so the scripture for tonight, most of you will know um, as the Great Commission. And really, I want to talk tonight about the challenges of discipleship. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, that is the verses that are known as the Great Commission is what most people call it. Um, if you have a Bible with subheadings, it may even be called the Great Commission there. Um, and this is what it says in verses 18 through 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he says this. He says, then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age Amen. That scripture, that command was given to the disciples who then obeyed that command. And because of their obedience to that command, we have the church that we sit in today. If those 12 men don't follow through and obey what Jesus says in that moment, it could have all ended in their generation. You know, I think about, um, I was born and raised in Scott, Louisiana. I, 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 don't, I don't go far from home often. And my grandparents used to get in trouble at school for speaking French. My grandparents. My parents both understand French and can speak some of it. My brothers, my sisters, and my cousins and I, most of us are not affluent in the French language. It really only took one generation of not focusing on a part of our heritage for it to die away. One generation. 
And so when I think about the commitment that these 12 men had to have had in them to the obedience of this command that was given, how grateful am I for my brothers that they did that. I uh, grew up in a Catholic home. I was, um, I don't use the word devout because um, I'm really not sure 100% even what that means in, in today's world. But I was born and raised Catholic. I was baptized before I was, you know, six weeks old. And I grew up in the Catholic church, was at catechism every Sunday. I made my confirmation, all the things that were required of us. Our church, um, our family did attend church every Sunday just about. Um, I can't remember many Sundays that we didn't go. Um, I did participate in the youth group that we had. Um, and so I grew up knowing the Lord in the sense that I could and that I was educated to. Does that make sense? And so I have always known God is good. I have always known Jesus died for my sin. I, I've never struggled with that concept because I was raised to understand that. I was also raised to be an obedient person, an obedient child. My parents were very uh, strong disciplinarians. Um, I can remember my mom saying oftentimes, like, "Lo, Jesus don't like that. You know, like it was talked about. It was said. I always thought, what about big Jesus? Does he like, no, just kidding. My mom would always say baby Jesus, so it was just funny, but... Um, I didn't realize until later in my life how powerless my faith was. And I, uh, in, uh, I got pregnant in high school, um, got married really super young. We tried our very best to make that work. But when kids have kids and get in the same household, it goes bad really quickly. I'm sure a lot of you probably know that. Um, we got divorced. I was on my own for a little bit and then got into another relationship with another broken individual and just couldn't understand why things just never got right. I went to church and I was doing what I was supposed to do and saying that rosary and doing all those things. But my life still wasn't good. And I didn't, although I, I had sin in my life and I had mistakes in my life, I was not, so. I've never been arrested. I've never been in trouble. I've always had a job. Like those sorts of things, you know, the things you think of when you think of a successful person. And it took an offense to really get me to open my eyes about a few things. And, um... I went to a church service one day at the church I grew up in. For those of you who have any experience with the Catholic Church, wherever you were born and baptized, that's your church till you die, <laughs> right? I don't know that that's an actual rule, but that's how my grandma made me feel for sure. You don't go to anybody else's church unless it's a funeral or a wedding. Um, and one Sunday I was there. Um, I was there with my children. Uh, my ex-husband happened to be there as well. I thought that it was a good thing we were trying to stay in church and still be amicable and, and show them that we were going to be there. Um, and I was asked, uh, or I was told rather, when I went to communion, that I wasn't supposed to go. And yes, I knew I wasn't supposed to go. And no, I wasn't going up in rebellion like, ha ha, I'll show them. I'm not that person. But I had this thought in my mind I'm struggling. I need to feel close to, to, to Jesus, to God. I need, I need something. And in my mind, that was what I knew to do, was to go to communion. 
And I remember when I was, and very lovingly, it wasn't like somebody walked up to me and said, who do you think you are? You know, you Jezebel. It was just very, I'm like, did you realize? And I allowed it to hurt me and offend me greatly. And I took three years in that offense before God got a hold of my heart. But God had set me up. He had set me up to still love him and still want him. And I never, ever was angry with him. I knew that that was a church thing, that that was a rule, that I was unhappy with a rule and an expectation. I was very, very grateful that I never allowed myself to be mad at God. And so those three years go by. My daughter gets invited to a church with a friend. Uh, and I'm one of those people for all reasons. Where my kids go, I go. At the time, they were um, 12, yeah, 12 and 10. And so they didn't go anywhere without me. And so she wanted to go to church, and I was like, sure, I'll bring you. What church are we talking about? Um, it was Crossroads Church over in North Lafayette. I was familiar with the church, had heard about it a few times. I didn't know much about it at all. I don't even know that I would have known what Pentecostal is or isn't at the time, but I went. I sat in the balcony, the last row, as close to the door as possible, just in case it got weird, because I did not know what to expect. There were no pews. There were no kneelers. It was loud. It was not quiet. I didn't smell any incense anywhere, so I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So anyway, I went, and I can't tell you what they talked about. I don't know what song they sang. I just know that I cried the vast majority of that service. Not like a boo-hoo, ugly cry, just this sorrow and weeping, and I didn't know why. I left baffled and confused, yet hungry at the same time. On the way home, I hear my kids talking in the back seat about Jonah and the whale. I didn't know that story. I had been in church for 31 years and attended 13 years worth of catechism, a.k.a. religion classes. And I did not know what story they were talking about. Could not have told you how long he was in the whale. Couldn't have told you if it was Old Testament or New Testament. I couldn't tell you anything. And I weeped the whole way home. Because in that moment, I realized, what have I believed? Like, what do I even know? Next week comes, the kids want to go back. So we go. We go a couple weeks. My fiance, who is now my current husband, uh, is like, yep, nope, not going. Not doing it. It's not Catholic, not going. I'm like, you don't even like Catholic church. But, you know, it was just an out. It was really just an out. But either way, took a few weeks, kept going, kept crying, didn't really know why I was crying. One Sunday, this sweet, sweet lady, about three chairs down for me, asked me after service if I would write my name so she could continue praying for me. And I remember thinking, I must really be broken because people are offered to pray with me because that was a foreign concept to have someone come up to me and say, I can see that you are struggling and I want to bear with you 
this burden, whatever it is. I don't even need to know. She didn't ask me what was going on. She didn't ask me if I was saved. She didn't ask me if I had a baby out of wedlock. She didn't ask me anything. She just said, honey, write your name down. I'm still not sure why, but I gave her my phone number too. I just don't even think I really understood what was happening. And I'm pretty sure that lady prayed me right on into heaven, but I never saw her again. And I don't think that's because she was an angel. I just think I didn't see her again. But um, people have tried to make that story. Do you think? I'm like, no, I think it was just a lady and I never saw her again. I don't know. Um, anyway, I have a conversation with my fiance, Eric, at the time. And he says this. And don't ever be offended when people say things to you that you're like, really? He sits down in the bed. I'm folding clothes. He's watching. That's normal. And uh, he asks the question, are you going to that church again tomorrow? And I said, yeah, I think so. We've been going for like four weeks now. Kids kind of like it. Well, I think I'm going to go. What changed your mind? This was his response. Have you realized we haven't argued in like a week? I would argue with a wall. I was like a pit bull with a pork chop over just about anything fold in the t how you fold the towels that was an argument how you uh, put the toilet paper on the roll or if you even put it on the roll that's an argument <clears throat> there were, I, I was just I argued over everything I was so I was just trying to be right and yet nothing was right and so I tried to control what I could which was how the dishes go in the dishwasher or how those towels go on that shelf right and in the moment, I was like, what do you mean we haven't fought in a week? He's like, I'm being serious. He's like, we haven't argued. He's like, I'm going to go check it out. And, of course, I come back with, and you think that's because I went to church? I've been going to church my whole life. Lo and behold, he comes to church, and a couple weeks later, on June 22nd of 2008, we made the decision to open our hearts and accept Jesus and to repent for the way that we had lived in every way. And I'm just going to tell you guys, those of you who get saved today, you got it easy. Because when I got saved, we were still sitting in the balcony, and you had to go down to the front. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's a long walk from all them down them stairs. You got to come all the way around. And then strangers touch you and pray for you. Because you were going to hell before that moment. You're just like having this revelation like, wow. Okay, God. It was singularly one of the greatest moments of my life. And I am so grateful for a 13-year-old little girl on a baseball team that said, would you come to church with me? That's it. And my entire eternity has been affected. We got saved um, almost immediately. I was like, okay, so this Bible thing scares the dickens out of me. Never opened it. Clearly, I don't know what's in it. I didn't even know who Jonah and the whale was. And I, I, I was terrified. Uh, but every Sunday, you know, they would preach, you got to be in the Word and make sure you're reading your Bible and read your Bible. And so I downloaded that app and got a plan and looked at it for three weeks probably before I opened a Bible. But anyway, I went and I bought a Bible and I started reading it. And all I could think of was, this isn't as hard as people made it sound. I didn't understand that a man didn't have to spoon feed me the word of God, that I could eat it all by myself. I didn't know that. 
It was crazy. And I was afraid of a lot of things. I was afraid. I was like, oh, what if I read this and I don't understand? You know, all the stuff. But here's what I learned. There's probably about 80% of it I still don't completely understand because God is higher than us and greater than us and more wonderful and he's eternal and he's all those things. So will we really ever understand? I am convinced that even the things I understand, we're going to get to heaven and be like, really? I don't know how I got that out of that. And we're just going to be baffled because it's going to be so much better, right? And so we plugged into our church. I, we got saved in June. I was in a small group in September. I was like, I want it all. I want everything. I, I, my husband calls me a cliff jumper. He's like, if there is something, you are either all in or not at all. And I was like, that's right. It's 100 or nothing. I'm either going to the gym at 5 a.m. six days a week or not at all. Right now, it's not at all. But I'm committed to whatever it is. And so got into these small groups. And you guys, my first small group was... I was the youngest person in the room by 25 years. God loved me. He gave me five women all over 50, I think all over 50, 45 for sure, that were just so sweet and so loving. And the lesson was on getting your heart right by Andy Stanley. And three quarters of it was about the tithe. And I'm just telling you, telling a little Catholic girl out of Scott to talk about the tithe, I was like, what? More than $20? Are you kidding? And I don't even get my name on the pew? I was, I, was, I was baffled. But these ladies just loved me. And they listened to all of my silly questions. And they never made me feel silly. And they prayed with me and they prayed for me. And sometimes it was over the most small things. And other times... I, it was over my life, you know? Small group season after semester after semester, I was always in a group, always in a group. I got connected with people within our church. I got trained up on being on the prayer team. So like we had a prayer team that would come up during service if people need a prayer and they're, you know, and like you actually went through some training there because some crazy things will happen at the altar. And if you're not prepared, that'll throw you a little Catholic Scott girl off a little bit. So got to get some training on that. But I just dove in head first in person after person after person after pastor just loved me, accepted me, prayed with me, trained me, taught me and open doors that sometimes I'm like, are you really going to let me do this? Like, you're going to let me lead this group? Like, you're not going to stand in the corner and watch to make sure I do it right kind of thing? Kind of like Pastor Bob saying, why don't you preach Wednesday night? I'll be out of town. I was like, this still baffles me sometimes, you know? And, and I just remember thinking, whenever, whenever I think I've got a few things figured out, I'm so going to help somebody else. I don't think for one second that any one of us will successfully walk out our faith on this earth without a circle, a tribe, a group, a small group, whatever you want to call it. We need other believers that are going to walk alongside us, that are the kind of people that are there on the mountain and that are equally there in the valley. 
I have some people in my life that as long as I'm in a mount, on a mountain, I don't even hear from them. But somehow or another, the minute that valley hits, they are the first ones calling me. Hey, girl, you've been on my heart for the last couple of days. What's going on? That's a real friend. When they only come around in the valley, like, you doing good, I'm doing good, we're good. But boy, when the water starts turning, they are calling, and we are talking, and we are praying, and we are fasting, and we are interceding for each other. Right? Because that's when we, that's, I, I don't want to mean like only come around when I'm in trouble, but we're off all doing our thing, called into ministry, doing what God has called us to do. And, you know, we're good. We love each other. We send shout outs here in the air, text, good, love you, whatever. But in the valley seasons, that's a daily thing. And so I just, discipleship is, I don't even know how to explain it because without it, I wouldn't be standing up here. I wouldn't have enjoyed the last 15 years of serving God. And I, I wouldn't know the word the way that I do. I wouldn't have my credentials. I, I wouldn't have godly <coughs> people in my life, my children wouldn't know the word the way they do. God, I wish they would obey it like they know it, but I know they know it. And that's all I can know, right? That's all I can do. My kids are adults. My youngest is 21. So they're, they're I hate to say they're on their own because you know what I mean, but at this point, it's, it's on them, right? But I know that they know. And I know that they know because I said it and I lived it and I walked it and they heard it. And, and, and that's what I could do. Because even knowing that I was, I had a 12-year-old and an a 10, 11-year-old by the time we got saved. They were, they were preteens. You guys know that's not a fun time. There's a reason why God gives us little infants and not teenagers. So we wouldn't have any more after the first one. I make you question your existence for sure, right? Especially whenever they weren't raised with the word and the Holy Ghost in the home. I had a lot of stuff to make up for. So I just showed them a lot of grace because I realized they had as much time with me walking with the Lord as they did with me not. But I don't want the people in my life that know me today to ever doubt my love for the Lord or for them. And so the one thing I got um, somewhere amidst all of our journey and me uh, going to Bible college, I got called into the Ministry of Teen Challenge. I was with the Ministry of Teen Challenge for almost 10 years. Um, we uh, resigned and uh, stepped out of that ministry just in August before we moved here. Um, I don't know if, if you don't know anything about Teen Challenge, here's what I can tell you. It is like a microwave oven of discipleship for some of the most broken people you will ever encounter. And so for the last 10 years, I've been able to be elbow deep in the valley with a lot of men and women. And I have watched God. If you question whether miracles happen anymore, Go with Sam and Christy when they go to Teen Challenge. You will watch and see and touch living, breathing miracles every day. Every day. And you will get to, to just minister to some of the most wonderful chosen people that you'll ever encounter. And I say that because that's what Teen Challenge is. It's a discipleship program for those people who have struggled with addictions and those sorts of things. And so 
as God calls us out of that season, I'm like, okay, God, so we're out of that. I didn't think we were going to come out of that. I thought I was going to die doing that, honestly. And so we are just focusing in on what God has for us in this season. And we truly believe that being here at Life Church and, and just serving Pastor Bob and Miss Amanda is what God has called us to do in this season. And as a result, that means serving you guys. So I hope and I pray that not only is tonight a blessing to you, but any time that I get to have your ear in the future as well. And so one of the things that I want to just focus on just as a little glip tonight is this. Oftentimes, people will say, well, I'm not called to discipleship. But I'm pretty sure the Great Commission is in the word for everybody. Right? Because discipleship doesn't happen in a pulpit. It's not up here. Discipleship is in small groups, it's in home groups, it's in having lunch with the lady that's new at church, or about, um, you know, just saying hello and good morning, helping a new mom get her kids to the nursery safe, or whatever the case may be. That's where discipleship is done. So if you are a person who can do any of those things, then you are in fact qualified to be a discipler. Holy Ghost in you, Jesus in you. It's not just for you. God said that he puts his light, not for it to be put under a basket, but for it to be on a lampstand for all to see, to lead the way for other people, right? And so we can't concern ourselves with our abilities because I'm pretty sure the Holy Ghost is sufficient enough to take whatever comes out of your mouth and make it holy because he does it for me quite regularly, case in point, right? He's powerful. He will use you, I promise. But the other thing that I hear people say all the time is like, well, how do you know who to disciple? Like, how do, how do, how do you just walk up to somebody and say, hey, do you want to be my disciple? No, it's not really how that works. But if you look around, they're there. And we don't have to wait for the magic highlight. I love when people say that. God just highlighted you for me. I'm like, well, that's cool. Was it pink or yellow? I don't, you know. Because I don't think that's always how it works. And when we wait for those moments, if we're waiting for some magical, oh, you know, heavens opened up and the dove landed and that's how I knew she was going to be the little girl that I would pour into. Like if you're waiting for that, that is not a practical expectation. I'll be honest with you, my personal opinion, this is a personal opinion. This is not a biblical fact. So just, just let me go there for a second. My personal opinion is that our world is so inundated with the demonic and satanic. If a dove wanted to come in land, it couldn't because of the oppression of God, the people that are there. Does that make sense? Like it's so dark and it's so bad and it's people are hating God. People are hating God's people. People are speaking hatred against all things that are good and righteous. And so, you know, whenever he even tells the disciples, if you go into a city and you're rejected, shake the sand off your sandals and walk out, right? So why are we expecting anybody to come and walk in here when, when it's, does that make sense? It's so animosity. So if you're waiting for that, it's not going to happen. So I want to direct you guys to a parable really quick. And that is going to be the last scripture and the last little piece of what I feel like God has for us. I know that I can totally move this and I don't think that I've moved it even once. I went through all that already. Okay, so the parable of the weeds. It's in Matthew chapter 13. 
Here we go. Matthew chapter 13, it starts at verse 24. I'm going to read 24 to 30 real quick. And this is what it says. He told them another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. But when the shoots had sprung up and produced fruit, the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? He said to them, An enemy did this. The servants said to him, Will you then have us go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the weeds, you will pull up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather up the weeds first and bind them in the bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. And so if you skip a little bit forward, when you get to verse 36, Jesus is then explaining that parable, and this is what he says. Then Jesus sent the crowds away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. I love how common they were. Like, could you explain that, please? I, I would have done that. He answered, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. But the weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the ends of this world. The Son of Man shall send out his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who do evil, and will throw them into a fiery furnace. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So, Long story short, good crop owner sows good seed. But somehow or another, whenever he is resting, sometimes people see that when men slept, it doesn't mean like they were lazy or slothful. Human beings need to sleep. It's just when they were doing what humans do, they slept, the enemy came in, right, and planted the bad seed. And so there's weeds. But the owner knows I can't get rid of one without damaging the other, so I need to just leave it alone until the end. And at the end, we will sort the weeds and the wheat, right? And so when Jesus comes back and explains, he says, this is what I'm talking about. There are going to be good people, God-fearing people that bear the seed, the word of God, the will of God in their life that are going to be mixed in with some weeds that don't necessarily do that, that they're kind of there for the other purposes, right? And you don't need to worry about it because at the end, I will send the angel and the angel will separate them and the angels will take care of sending the weeds where they need to go. Mm, Phoebe, I don't know how that translates. Here's the thing. Sometimes we won't know that when we give that good seed to someone, whether they're going to do with it what God would want them to do. We don't know people's motives. I don't know your motive. I can think and maybe try to build myself up to, oh, I know what she's thinking, but we really don't, right? And the enemy sends people on assignment to cause disruption and discord, 100%. 
When I was a director for Teen Challenge, I could tell you over and over and over again, we would get to a place where we would have about 15 or 18 ladies that were doing great, doing wonderful. God was moving. It was awesome. And we would get a student in that just seemed like from day one, breath one, word one, was in total contradiction of everything. And we were liars and we just wanted money and all of these things. And they would just cause disruption. They would come in and they would start to talk to the other girls and get them to doubt what God was doing or what we were teaching them or whatever. And just as soon as they came in, they were leaving within two weeks, sometimes 30 days at most. And I would just cry my eyes out because I would see these girls, these ladies that would get so attached to each other in their brokenness. They would just, you know, uh, maybe it's a, an older lady in her, you know, 40s or 50s in the program and this 20-year-old comes in and she's just takes her under her wing and then she's flipping out, flying off and she leaves and she's heartbroken because she knows she's like, baby, if you could just understand, like I've been doing this for 30 years, it don't get better or easier. And their heart gets broken and then they get confused and they get derailed and that's what the enemy wants to do. And so I got to that place where I was like, okay, we need to screen people better. That was my natural response. We need to screen people better. Maybe we need like a, a secondary campus where they go for 30 days and only if they like behave right, then they can come join the rest. Because I would watch it happen over and over and over again. These people that would come in, I can tell you, I've been in the presence of witches. I've been hexed. I have been cursed. I have been spit on. I have been called. I've been told that the, the blood of someone's child is on my hands. <clears throat> I've been accused of it all because the enemy has an assignment. And if we concern ourselves with who we're going to share the gospel with and who we're not, and if we're worried about who the weeds are versus who the wheat are or who the weeds are, we are getting bogged down in the wrong thing. Well, I went and that young lady came for two services and I sat with her and I prayed with her and now she's not here. So I'm just not doing that again. How, we don't know why she's not coming back. Maybe her car broke down. She didn't have transportation. Maybe the Lord started convicting her and she scared the dickens and she ain't coming back for a while. But what you did when she was here matters. That seed that you planted by being kind and being loving and open and accepting, that planted a seed about our God who is holy and loving and accepting. And when she goes back to whatever she may or may not go back to, she will know that she experienced, she saw God's love. And boy, you know when you hear people tell a testimony and they're like, man, my life was this and I was here and I was there, but this person came into my life and they spoke life over me and they prayed with me. And don't we love those stories? Well, why aren't we willing to be the person who did the praying and the staying? We, we love hearing the testimony of someone who was prayed into the kingdom, but when pastors up here saying, hey guys, we have somebody who needs prayer, who can come help me? Nobody wants to come. We are those people. It's Wednesday night. I call this the core crowd. When you come on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, you are committed. Because right now, there's probably four TV shows that other people are watching. And dinner is probably going to end up being Chick-fil-A on the way home. Because that's Jesus' chicken, so it's okay. And after 8 o'clock, it does not have calories. Just kidding. But 
Do you know what I'm saying? It's a, we sacrifice to be here. I mean, it's Wednesday night, right? But we've prioritized. We've removed some of those idols, and we're prioritizing being in the house of God. But this is not just for us. If you're here just to get filled up and go and enjoy what you got filled with, you have missed the heart of Jesus. He said, go. There's action. We have to go. And look, not everybody's going to Kenya. Not everybody's going to Malaysia. I'm going to tell you right now, I said it for a long time. As long as I was in Teen Challenge, I was a domestic, uh, domestic missionary. I was a missionary on the, in, in America. You want to know why? Because I had never been arrested, never been in jail, and never done drugs in my life. So I was very much ministering to a people group that was not my people. Just because they're not they're the same color as me and, you know, born in America. All the, ministry, we can't put God in a box like that. I truly believe, and I shared this with some of you if you were at prayer this past Sunday. Part of the reason why I just, I really have just been bugging Pastor Bob, like, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Tell me what I can do to help. Text message, Facebook message. Because I truly believe with everything in me that God has revealed to my heart that this church is an integral part of what God is going to do in this season, which I believe I'm not one of those people that like stands on the soapbox and says, the world's coming to an end, but we close, y'all. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Bob said that them little Disney signs is getting closer and closer, right? And here's the thing. People are going to be looking for what we have. I didn't need a rosary. I didn't need a bunch of pointless words strung together in a rhythm that I can still repeat to this day because they are powerless. They truly have no meaning. I'm not saying that there's not a place for tradition. I'm not saying that, you know, if you say that our father sometimes it's somehow that's what I'm saying is that's not all that he is. And when you come and you are filled with the word of God, when you are taught by such a man of God with such amazing understanding and an ability to break down very complex things to us in a way that we can digest them and be prepared, when you, that is not just for you. This is not just for us. So what does it look like whenever you start pouring into someone? I try to say pour into people rather than disciple people because I think that word feels very big. So when you start pouring into somebody, right, with the goal that they're going to meet Jesus when they die, okay, what does that look like? It's just being their friend. It's, it's getting to know them, spending time with them being in a group with them, talking with them at church, maybe grabbing coffee after church, maybe going to Waffle House together after church, right? Just something like just beginning to share with them your testimony, what God's done in your life, asking them, what is God doing in your life? But the goal is to kind of gauge where they are with the Lord, and then begin to pray, God, what, what should I do? How do I share? How do I pray for them? right? And then you want to walk them through the process. If they're not saved, ask them, like, have you, have you ever said a prayer that, where you kind of surrendered? Have you repented? Have you, do you understand what repentance is, right? And then 
once they do those things, like, what's the next step? You repent, you ask God into your heart, man. Like, tell them about baptism and tell them about when you got baptized. You know, baptism is the outward profession of what has gone on on the inside of your heart. It's kind of your coming out party, right? That you are going to live for the Lord, that you are committed to this process. Wouldn't it be cool if when you did that, there was somebody in the crowd just screaming? Let me tell you a secret. First, when I got baptized as a Catholic little baby, nobody screamed because you're not allowed to do that in church. And then when I was saved for about a year and a half, and myself, my husband, and two of our four children, when we got baptized, the only people that were there screaming our name were our church family who had been pouring into us. My mom wasn't there, my dad, my sisters, my brothers. They weren't there. And I don't tell you that because I want you to feel sorry for me. I tell you that to tell you I got there because of the people in my church. I felt supported because of the people in the pews next to me, worshiping with me, praying with me, and checking on me. And I wish, I wish with everything in me that that would be my family, my biological family, my mom and my dad and my brothers and sisters. But it's not. And I don't understand and I don't know how they have watched what God has done in my life in the last 15 years and that they are not in awe and trying to jump on this with us. I don't know. I, I have a lot of theories, but I don't. But I know this. They all know the truth. They have been in the presence of the light. And one day, one day, they will. Because that's my God's promise that when I'm faithful to live out what he is and does and who he is every day, those that I love, those that I've been with, they will come to know him. Even the rocks will cry out who he is. So I know that if a rock can, my dad is stubborn, but he is not more stubborn than a rock and he's got a mouth. So there's much more likely chance that he will than a rock will. So I'm just believing for that, right? But if we just come to church and we just come to prayer and this is all about us, how sad is that? Because Jesus came to serve us. He came to be the least. You know, there's a song, and I can't think of the name of the song right now, although I'm sure Brother Justin knows the song, where it says, oh gosh, he didn't want heaven without us. That's it. God was in heaven, which at my best understanding, I don't understand how amazing that's going to be. And he loved me so much and didn't not want me there. That he would send Jesus to come and make a way for me to be there. Do you ever just sit with that? You know, in Hebrews, when it talks about not losing sight of your first love, like your first zeal when you first came to know the Lord. I can honestly stand before you today and tell you today, right now, 15 plus years after being saved, when I think about that, I am as impacted today that God would leave heaven for me as I was that day. It's overwhelming. 
And when I see lost and hurting people, I just want them to know. I just want them to know what they do with it, what they do with it, that's between them and God. And I'm not going to withhold love. I'm not going to withhold prayer. I'm not going to withhold encouragement because I don't think they're getting it. Because it's not my job. Scripture talks about God, and at the end, he will separate the sheep from the goat. It's over and over and over. And what I think the message that he's trying to get across is, stop worrying about the result and just do what I've commanded you to do. And what I've commanded you to do is to go, to make disciples, to get them baptized, and live for him. I don't think I got all of that because I think my note said something else, but... If you've lost the remembrance of what it felt like the day you got saved, I encourage you to get into your prayer closet and ask God, remind me of that moment. For some of you, it might have been at a service like it was for me, but for some of you, it might have been in a parking lot, grocery store, you know, youth room, counselor's office, wherever it was. And remember what it felt like. And listen, I, I want you guys to understand, I had a lot of sin in my life. I was living with a man I wasn't married to. He was still legally married to another woman. The whole thing, like, it was bad. But to the world's standards, I was doing just fine. I had a job. I was raising my kids. My bills were paid. I had a vehicle to get to and from work. Like, the world didn't know or care that I was on a fast track to an eternal damnation. So I can only imagine today when this world is so much worse. That my little things, my little indiscretions, how they would feel if they would know how much God loves them. And if you won't tell them, who will? Tonight's about a challenge and a charge. The Great Commission is about a challenge and a charge. And, and what I love about the Great Commission, I'm just going to go back to it for a quick second, and then I'm going to close up. I promise I'm not going to keep you all here till 9 o'clock like Pastor Bob. I hope he hears that. He says this. Where is it at? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And he goes, listen to what he's, I, I just need you guys to be Jesus' head for a minute. He starts it off by saying, hey, let me remind you of something. All authority has been given to me. So you need to go and make some disciples. Like, he reminded them of his deity. He's reminding them of how powerful he is. He's saying to them, now you know who I am. You know. So you better go tell somebody. And here's what I want you to do. I'm just saying, it almost makes me a little bit afraid if I don't tell people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like when your dad says, I'm your dad and I said, right? Or because I'm the adult, because I'm your mom, right? I can't, because I said so was literally like, words that I heard all my life. So that's what I hear when Jesus said that. He's like, I have all the authority. 
And this, therefore, because I have all the authority, I'm telling you to go do this. If you're sitting, praying, and waiting for God to reveal the call of your life, the purpose of your life, I'm down. I've been there. But you can't waste time looking for your one purpose when we have all been given the general purpose to get the commission done because there are people that are lost and dying and on their way to hell. And we're sitting back in our comfortable church chairs, having comfortable church on a comfortable Sunday and going back to our comfortable houses where everything is good. And we have five different Bibles and three devotionals. And we go to church two times a week and we have shared it with no one. It's not enough to just be a sweet, nice, kind person. We have to tell them they don't know. I had been in church my whole life, and I didn't know. 31 years of church, and I did not know that if I would have died, I would have gone to hell. That is crazy to me. And I cannot believe I'm the only one. So I charge you today, step out. Get to know people. Pastor says it every Sunday, and I think it's hysterical. Get up and shake people's hands, walk around. And there's like three people in here that will go find somebody new. And the rest of everybody else is like, I'm going to get a mint. I'm going to get my water. Oh, I know you. Hey, how you doing? Right? I'm, I'm just saying, it happens. It is, right? Ladies, think about this. And I'm only saying ladies because I can't think about what guys think about because I'm not a guy. When you go to a women's conference and they open the altar and there's 30, 40, 50 women that hit that altar. And before you know it, everybody's singing together and praying together and the Holy Spirit just moves. Do you know what that feels like? Why can't that be every Sunday? We don't need 30, 40, or 50, and it doesn't have to be just the girls. But why can't people just come to that altar and just be surrounded by love and worship and acceptance? And I'm not saying we accept people and leave them where they are. Part of discipleship is correction and all of those things. And that's a whole nother lesson on a whole nother night. But I challenge you tonight. Do what he said. Because he who came and dwelt this earth was also he that was in heaven. And it matters. Would you stand and pray with me tonight, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the encouragement and the empowerment. We also thank you for the conviction, Lord God. Father, I repent for the times where I have been too busy or too caught up in my own stuff to, to witness, to share. To, to help someone, God. And I just pray that if there's anybody else in here tonight that you feel that conviction that you could have or should have or may have uh, missed opportunities, just repent of that right now and, and give God your word that not again. Lord, not again will I pass by and not show them your love and your light. Lord, help us to see the opportunities God, if we're those people that need highlighters, Lord, get you one and just run around town and show us what to do. God, help us to start right here in our church. Help us, Lord God, to be confident in our salvation.
be confident in who you are. Father, challenge us to be students of your word so that we don't have insecurity when we share it with other people. Lord, we pray for a move of your Holy Spirit in this church. We pray for revival, not for a moment of goosebump and experience, but for the revival, which is the awakening of God's people to a new place of devotion and revelation, Lord God. Father, that you would bring in the lost, that you would bring in those that are seeking, who want to find you, who maybe they want to find something and they don't even know it's you yet, Lord, but we will be good stewards. We will be good stewards of them, God, so we ask that you bring them in. Father, we will welcome them. We will love them. Father, I pray for every single seat in this house tonight that represents a man, a woman, or a child who is currently on the way to hell. Father, we pray them right now. We declare them for the kingdom of God. We declare that they are our brother, sister in Christ. And we promise and decree now that we will be a church and a people that disciple, that encourage, that pray for, and that will storm the gates of heaven for those around us, Lord God. Let a spirit of intercession fall on this house, Lord God. Father, we are not here for us. We're here for you, and we are here for them. We thank you for the church. That is the place for us to be trained up to go. Father, send us. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you for our salvation, Lord. Open our eyes and remind us of how it felt and how much we loved you, how new and eager. God, give us that again. Give us the zeal that was there at our first moment of salvation. Father, I pray your blessing on every man, woman, and child in this building tonight. Father, I pray that those that are looking for work find it quickly. For those, Lord God, that are getting into the place of retirement, Lord, that you would provide for them in a way for these seasons of of seniorness. Father, I pray for marriages to be strengthened. Father, I pray for our leaders, all of them, Lord God. I pray that you would encourage them and lift them up, Lord. I pray that you would set a fire under them in this house, Lord God that the spirit of complacency and ho-hum would be wiped away and that we would become the church that is seeking after God in a new way. Father, we need you. We want you. And we ask all of this humbled by your grace and by your mercy. Father, we thank you and we praise you. As we leave this place, let us be your light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here and for entertaining me with attentive eyes at the very least. (laughs) Nobody left, so I think it was okay. (laughs) I hope you all have a good night.